Hello and good evening, guys. This is Kevin Finkel here with our eighth episode of Magic the Final Frontier. On this podcast, we discuss the Frontier format, keeping our listeners up to date with what is new, interesting, and powerful in the world of Frontier. And I am Matt Murday, a Magic nerd and a Frontier fanatic. As we mentioned last week, our other host, Kevin Hanlon, is touring with his band this week and will not be here. But we have a very special couple of guests instead, the hosts of the original MTG Frontier podcast. Why don't you guys introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Tony Cameron. Hi, I'm Matt Mealing. <laughs> and we're and we're four years old. <laughs> hey, uh, so we have come back from the shadows. I'm Matt. This is uh, Tony. Um, yeah, about a year ago, we started MTGFrontier.com. Um, and we had to step away from it a couple months ago. You guys stepped up. Um, so we thought we'd come uh, help you guys with an episode of the podcast. I would just like to put out there that Kevin is the greatest thing to happen to podcasting since me. Well, I would prefer if this episode was just like Tony, uh, Matt Mealing, and Kevin, but... There's a lot of Matt's in the room. Yeah. There's a lot of Matt's There's in the room. There's always but... more Matt's than you want in a room. No, I think that's our curse. Every time we tried to have like guests or anything on here, they're always either named Matt or Kevin. Just all that's, of them. That's my life. Actually, the quick, funny story tangent. When I was growing up, I... I met a guy who I hung out with around high school who genuinely thought my name was Kevin for about two years. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not a Matt, but I do have a little bit of Kevin in me. All right, so we're not even through the intro yet, and we've already got some tangents going. But for today's <laughs> show, we kind of want to dig in with the expertise that these guys bring. So we're going to do a bit of a back-and-forth interview, hear some of their brews, kind of just talk magic, talk shop with these guys, because they've really got a lot to say, and we're excited to hear what they have. Let's do a little bit of background first. We want to hear about what you guys are, why you, we're considering you such experts on Frontier. So... How did you get into magic in general, and then how did you bring yourselves into Frontier? How did you get started with Frontier? I started playing magic when I was 16, so about 30, 40 years ago. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Feels that way. Yeah, I started I started playing uh, when Fallen Empires came out. Um, so yeah, and it was kind of off and on for about 10 years, and when I moved to Toronto in 2000, kind of when I want, got into the competitive side of it. Um, I was actually just about to get out of competitive magic uh, when Frontier was kind of announced as a thing. Tony and I were kind of hanging out. We we're always looking for a project to do together. Um, as we kind of had uh, commentated on, I commentated with them on a on a face to face stream. And ever since we were trying to find something to do. Uh, at that point, I kind of got rid of all my competitive decks, and I just had ninety three, ninety four. And um, one modern deck, just because there was, uh, what was it, WMCQ was before? Yeah, WMCQ. And the uh, GP Montreal we were going to go to. Yeah, so you yeah. wanted to grind out your points for nationals. That, that's a year later. But, uh, good try. Good try. Um, so, yeah. So, Haruya put out the announcement. And, uh, like, at the time, like, when I looked at the card pool, I'm like, wow, this is super cheap, super easy to get into. And Around the power level that I enjoy, like I find standard to be all about like two or three really powerful mythics, and that's it. And modern, modern is what it is. Uh, so it was nice uh, a new kind of fresh format where Tony and I both kind of like to to brew, just do new things. So it was a hey, there's this new format announced. It's coming out of like the biggest stores in Japan. What do you think? Um, and then, like, four hours later, he's like, cool. And then, like, four hours later, I'm like, hey, I got a project. You want in? He's like, yeah. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> so 
So at that point, I bought the domain mtgfrontier.com. And like four days later, we recorded a podcast. On, on your phone. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, we definitely did it on my phone. Yeah, you have you guys have writers and audio guys and editors, and we literally did it on his phone. We didn't even have a mic or anything. No, no, no. It was just hit record on your phone. We, that was, yeah. I mean, that, that just sort of goes to show that uh, there wasn't really anything that could stop us. Yeah, you know, like it is. Uh, we saw an opportunity there, and were they trying to like? capitalize on it in the traditional sense of capitalism we wanted to like be a part of it and have something to like foster and grow and make something that was bigger than the two of us yeah. and it didn't have to revolve around you and me specifically yeah. and and that's why what's so great about like the untap open league which is one of the greatest thing that's come to magic in general because free magic tournaments where people have access to all of the cards is something that you can't find anywhere else so to me that as being like a spin-off of of you know what what we sort of fell in love with yeah, about we, a year ago is is super super exciting for me to say see so i i think we were just looking for something that would make us excited about magic again because at that time too standard was atrocious mod, uh, modern was broken and we just needed something we we found something that kind of sparked our interest in the hobby that we all love again so we just ran with it. Yeah, and, and Mealing and I both uh, during spoiler season would like get together and talk about cards and say like you know, what about this? What about that? And and I was always the anything's possible type guy. And, and Matt's from a background where you play the best deck with the best players in the country. And, like, you know, you, you try and win nationals. You try and make it on the Pro Tour. You try and be the best. And uh, the two of us would get together and we would share a lot of passion about the same cards, even though we knew they didn't really have a home. So once... Once Frontier sort of like developed as a potential home for these cards, it was so easy for Matt and I to just talk like hours and hours and hours on ends about the possibility of magic being fun. That's awesome, guys. So our next question is, how involved are you with Frontier right now? Um, so we are actually not very involved with Frontier right now. Uh, a couple, two, three months ago, uh, for personal reasons, we kind of had to step away from um Frontier and Magic as a whole. At that point, um, we decided it was best to let go of MTGFrontier.com because um, it was about to come up for renewal, and we kind of thought if we dropped it, someone else could pick it up, and you guys did. Um, and after the kind of we've had some time to deal with what we had to deal with, um, we just got back into it. I don't know. When did we start? We started getting together on, like, Sundays or whenever I could away from my family and just... Jam games, and that was what, about a month ago. I finished my deck yesterday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we were still just jam games, right? Yeah, we had, yeah we've yeah. been we've been brewing and talking about it for the last little while, and I've been you know I haven't gotten quite to the point where I'm feeding you deck lists all day every day yeah. <laughs> like we were. But there's a lot of things that I'm I'm still really excited about, and uh, there's a lot of really interesting new cards from from Ixalan that are that are to me very exciting, and and uh, what I'm what I'm happy to see is that there's still a store willing to put a little weight behind uh, something that's a little more community driven and uh, creating a, a positive feedback loop of there are people who still want to do this. So let's do it. And then let's give them something for it. Absolutely. And let's, let's just take a moment to say thank you to ANC games for that. Yeah, absolutely. Really, really appreciate it. Well, we have to say thank you by getting people to show up to the tournament. Well, for, for starters, we, I mean, we obviously appreciate the opportunity. 
the yeah. opportunity that they're they're giving us. And, and Matt and I now know from experience that it really just takes someone to uh, or or a store or someone out of store who's passionate to just sort of take the leap with the players, and it'll work out. Yeah. So you mentioned there's a lot of cards for Ixalan that you're really excited about in Frontier. Can you talk about some of those? Do you actually want to start getting into some card details, or you just want me to rhyme off a few names and we can touch back on them later? Well, let's, let's get into it a little bit. All right. Well, uh, the card that I've been sort of generally most excited about is uh, Legion's Landing. So that's the one white legendary enchantment that flips into a land. Uh, when it comes into play, it makes a 1-1... One, one White life-linking vampire. It doesn't have flying, but I guess it can't be perfect. And then it flips into uh, a land that I, I believe it's two and white, so three mana plus it makes a, another 1-1 one, one vampire. So it's kind of like your Westville Abbey slash Gavany Township go-long land, but with cards like Renegade Rallyer and, and a lot of the like white one-drop creatures um, having having issues with removal then you can get a little more out of this. And I've always been a huge, huge fan of, of Renegade Rallier. So uh, sort of that green-white tokens uh, aspect has always been appealing to me. And we we sort of nailed Oath of Nyssa when it came out, of how good it was going to be when it came out. So I've I've been a lot more open to legendary enchantments that do other things that may, may not sort of... Uh, have a history yet, but have potential, and and uh, I think Legion's Landing is one of those cards that that can do good things. Yeah, that's a super efficient rate for sure. I, I can't complain about that one. Yeah, even being able to bring it back once you've already flipped the land with, like I said, I'll, I'll keep saying Renegade Rallyer because I think that's one of the best not fully explored cards from Frontier in general. I just think it makes so many other cards so so much better that the ceiling on it's very high. So. Even it even you know interacts with search for Ascanta fairly fairly well. Oh well, yeah, yeah. that's a good combo. Yeah, it's a great combo. So if you're bringing back either like a Jace Friends Prodigy or a search for Ascanta, then they're both sort of doing the same thing. And in a world where you get to play Seder Wayfinder, those cards are like insanely powerful. Like if you have a flip Jace and a flip search for Ascanta because of Seder Wayfinder, you are going to draw a lot of cards. I don't know what to do after that. You probably just cast Dig Through Time or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the super cool things about that too is it's really easy to trigger a vault with that without losing it's any really value. Easy. Yeah, yeah. You know, even with your fetch lands and stuff. So uh, I, I really like both of those cards. Even the uh, the black one. I don't I don't remember what it's called. Um, but the the black legendary enchantment is an edict for two mana. And then when it flips, it turns into high market, where you can tap it and sacrifice a creature and gain life equal to its toughness. I don't think it's edict. Isn't it like pay black, play colors? Oh, no, it's greed. Yeah, sorry, it's greed. Yeah, it's greed. Yeah, pay two and, and two life and two mana and draw a card. FYI, we might refer to cards by their um, old school kind of... Their original their, printings. Yeah, their original <laughs> printings in old school as we've always, even when we took a break from uh, Magic... Still kind of always played old school. So. Yeah, the, the Blood Feast. Yeah, so like, yeah. When, when we look at cards like um, something like Painful Truth, you're paying three mana and three life to draw three cards and basically nothing else on that turn. And that card's totally playable. So I think something like Disenchantment might might be viable if you have something like Gifted Aetherborn or Kalidus or Noxious Gearhulk in your deck where you can just gain back like six or eight life and not worry about it then you just draw three cards off of it. 
Like it's, or if you're playing against something like Control, where you really don't care about the lights at all. Yeah, exactly. And even Control decks can board into like four gifted Aether boards, as I was listening on your other podcast too. And I fell in love with like a base black life gain deck when you guys were talking about it. When you would go like gifted Aetherborn into you have like Fatal Push and cards like um, uh, even Read the Bones, and then you can move into Kalidus as your sort of high end. That card is just so so good on its own. I don't know if the flip side of this card is like so. We're just using it as like a two mana draw enchantment because the flip side doesn't look amazing. The flip side's fine because what it does is a it ramps you. Sure. It lets sure. you play. It lets you play a second one, yeah. which is totally fine. Okay. But what it does is it lets you like have favorable combats all the time, right? Like you never lose combat because if you're going to trade down, then you just gain life instead. Sure. Right. So it can turn all your blockers into essentially lifelink creatures. And then for me, someone who's appealed to it, playing something like a reanimator deck, then then you can interact well with like, you know, sack your gear hulk to this, reanimate your gear hulk, just value, value, value. This looks like a good. This looks like a good uh, board card for rally if they need to switch gears. I can see that. Yeah, because I because people bring in lots of hate like um, uh, what, hollow moonlight. Um, um, Hushwing Griff, Hush, and- Hush, Hush, Hushwing Mealing, um, Anafenza. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, you could probably switch switch gears pretty easy, bringing a couple of these and and uh, tireless trackers and stuff like that. I think this is my third favorite one, but I still I still like it. Like I feel like it still has some, so some what, potential. So we haven't talked about this. Uh, uh, what what do you feel like the payoff is for the green one for the cradle one? I don't know. Like, like it's, it's got to be elves, right? Sure, sure, sure. But what are we doing with like twelve mana and elves? The power's there. Is just there's no payoff. It is yet. I think is there any, is, is the big problem I have. Is it just fireball? Like, are we just? Is there? There's got to be fireballs in the format, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there's uh, cut to ribbons. Oh, cut to ribbons. Yeah, yeah. Cut, cut to ribbons might be the payoff. Like, like honestly, the Titans, yeah. Something like Jund elves is not unreasonable. Or you could play the green one with um, green red, and then you could play Fall of the Titans off of a uh, Power Master's goggles. All right, so let's complete. Right? Let's but, that, but that's still elf ramp. You're using so many different types of ramp. Like you have to have all these creatures out, and then you have to have this, and you have to flip it, and then you're like Fall of the Titansing them. Like, why don't you just play a bunch of ramp spells that they can't interact with, as opposed to a bunch well, of I creatures they can? I think there's a ferocious, uh, ferocious yeah, fireball. Crater's claws. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, yeah, I mean, like that's that's fine, but it, it feels so like. Win more. Like if you I, I wonder if this is play. like your Renegade Rallyer deck where it's not necessarily elves, but you can still like um met, uh, like selfless spirits and renegade rallyers and elvish mystics. You mean you're just playing value stuff? Um and then is there any way to bring back uh like a uh critters clause from your graveyard? Like if you're say you mill it with uh Seder Wayfinder? To like give it flashback or whatever, or or bring it back to your hand. So I'm saying there's, like a, like there, digging through your deck. Yeah, there's like the blue red like slow caster mage thing that puts an instant sorcery back on uh, top of your library. But it's like no, you're jumping through so many hoops when you could just cast Emrakul on turn five. Like I, I know we like I think cut to ribbon sounds like the best payoff that like we've come up within sixty seconds. Yeah, I mean I've I've. I've definitely been uh, considering elves of other varieties. Like, I, I like Abzan elves, obviously. And yeah. I know you guys talked about it on a couple of podcasts ago having uh, the uh, you either choose Panharmonicon or Collected Company. 
but I think there's the your distinction between the two is like very shallow because the Panharmonicon gets to play cards like Siege Rhino, which turns it into like a more of a mid-range elf deck, and then Cut to Ribbons could sort of be that Siege Rhino card, like the card that you're double splashing yeah. for that you're never playing before turn like six or seven. But on turn six or seven, it does ten points of damage. Is there is there any red or like gold uh, elf cards that include red? Uh, not that I can think of specifically. Like Samit's one of the ones that like comes across as like an elf like creature that's just like a good, powerful, yeah. strong card. But like the ones that you'll put like, Samit in anything, man. Yeah, yeah like <laughs> like like Arlen Court doesn't really do anything for this as a mid range yeah. card. It's just another mid range card. So I don't know. It's hard to say with. With the the green flip enchantment, if it's if it's just win more, can we complete the cycle then? Like, what do we think of the red one? Ooh, what's the red one? I actually so don't the red know. one is so one red, three colorless. Uh, reveal the top card of your library at being your upkeep. Um, right are- here, yeah, yeah. Um, you guys lost me at four mana. I know. I was <laughs> I, I was literally thinking of you saying that in my head. <laughs> oh, it's the pay pay four lands and lightning bolt something. But how do you yeah. flip it? You have to play three spells in one turn. No, not so, a chance. Yeah, my, my biggest problem with this one is that we've got two cards that are basically this, but better already. We've got Chandra Torture Defiance, and we've got Apo Siege. I like both of those. Okay, more hold on, hold on, hold on. No, no, let, let me. So we, you have you brewed up, and we test a really horrible deck the other day. Your Jeskai Ascendancy deck. It's true, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> what if after say? Someone builds it and like because Jeskai Ascendancy combo, no one really plays. There's very unbeatable game ones that it can have that just flips like loses in the board. Correct. What if there's some kind of transformational like Jeskai Ascendancy deck that plays lots of cantrips and cheap spells that could flip this? So here and plays more control. So here's what I like about this card, and I I just thought of this as we were as we were going over it. I really like this card in either a black red or a jund yeah. deck where you can play one of the split cards both halves in one turn like if you could go claim to fame spell yeah to flip this then you're gonna like then that's gonna be really sweet because you're not you don't have to go through three separate cards right if you can spend one card to cast two of your spells mm. i'm way more on board like if you use driven to despair with this and then shock them you're you're on you're off to the races right but i don't like the idea of having to spend three cards to flip this after turn four. This the art on this on the flip side is just sick. It's pretty dope, yeah. It, and it, I really like it. <laughs> I guess it makes sense. Like they have the worst front on the best back, right? Oh obviously. Like, yeah, like yeah, I know the blue one sees the most play and but it has a really good front and an insane back. That's true, actually. Yeah, yeah you don't leave it on that. <laughs> so but I guess they were really afraid of this one just spiraling out of control. So we see this. So we see this one. I, I think you could board it in in some kind of combo deck where you want to switch gears, and Tony thinks that like a black red John deck could control that could possibly play this. This is a really good kill condition, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's it, it really is. Like when when you watch your when you watch some of the like SEGs or the the coverage of as Kanta being flipped, and you see them tap four mana to impulse. Oh, it's ridiculous! Just imagine that that just being a lightning bolt. Yeah, that's just a drawing card. I'll just bolt you. I'll just draw a lightning bolt. (laughs) So we this card has it has potential, but it's it's also got I think the the highest opportunity cost before it actually is good. 
And I think the green one is the weakest on the flip side, where it's it's just such a win more. So I have I have a card I want to talk about since Tony like took over the last twenty minutes. What I do? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Um, so I'm kind of when I build extra frontier, I'm more of a build around synergy kind of deck builder, and um, I really like Sanctum Seeker. And actually, so the the reason why I actually even looked this guy up. Um, do you want to read what it is, Tony? Oh, sweet. This guy's, this guy's awesome. He's, yeah. he's a 3-4 for 2 and 2 black mana, 4 mana. Whenever a vampire you control attacks, each opponent loses a life and you gain a life. A 3-4. So the reason why I kind of found this card is because um, I heard Matt Murday um, say that vampires as a tribe were very playable in Frontier. And I instantly knew he was wrong. Um, so I had to look. I had to look for the payoff of the tribe, and this is one hundred percent probably the reason why you'd want to play vampires. Um, and I, I did a quick search, and this was like a week or so ago, so I don't remember all the cards. But I'm pretty positive there's a very playable, probably like tier one point five uh, Mardu vamp- vampires uh, deck. If you look at your one drops, you have Legion's Landing. You have um, uh, the new guy from from the set. It's uh, one black, one two. Whenever the vicious t- conquistador. Thank you. Can you say that again, Kevin? Vicious conquistador. That's awesome. Um, and then is it Falkenrath Gorger? The one red, two one gives all your vampires madness. So that so you have twelve really good one drops there. I know the man is a little harsh. We do kind of have the the new tribe land to help out a little bit. Um, but the cool thing is, like, uh, Matt, I, I'm I'm trying to pull from memory, and pretty much you, you said that vampires didn't really have a direction. They had two or three things that they did kind of cool. They had two or three things that they did kind of cool, but not, like, well. Kind, kind of, sort of? Sure, yeah. I think its strengths just aren't quite strong enough if you compare it to, like, Abzan Aggro, or any of, like, the Tier 1 decks. Sure, sure. So, there's two things... That I three things actually three small things that the tribe can do well. So number one, obviously, gain life. Uh, number two, incidental damage, and number three, um, take advantage of of discard outlets better than any other tribe, as in smugglers copter or um, collective brutality. So I kind of really. Um, it probably is one of the better decks for cut to ribbons because you are playing probably four copters, hundred um, percent, two or three collective brutality main. Um, your two drops, you have Aetherborn. What's it? What's his name? Gifted Aetherborn. Aetherborn. Yeah. There's one other really good two drop. I can't remember. There's the Strumker Condemned, the two black two two that you can discard a card to give vampires you control plus one plus one till end of turn, but you can only use it once per turn. Yeah, I, I think it was the one where it's like. Uh, no, maybe that was a pirate. Is there? Yeah. Anyways, so there was another good two drop. Your three drop is the uh, it's a, it's from the new set as well. One white, two colorless, a two two. Whenever a vampire, a non-token vampire you control attacks, make a one one vampire with lifelink. So that's the legendary Maverin Fane Dusk Apostle. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, See, it's easy to follow along because I've got a uh, I've got a deck list for vampires sitting open next to me oh, and just nice. reading off every single one I'm talking about. Oh, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs> So uh, I feel like, and then you have access to like the best removal in the format. You you have Culligan's Command, a Braid, uh, Fatal Push, Cut to Ribbons, um, 
And uh, you have a, another cool kind of madness card. Um, it's Blood Hall something. So it's a 4-4 four, four for 4, madness of 3. When it comes into play or attacks, if you have no cards in hand, it deals 2 damage to a target. Oh, that's the red-black one. Yeah. yeah. The Blood Hall Priest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And All also, right. you have access to two really good planeswalkers for decks that go wide, and that is Soren, Solemn Visitor, yep. and Gideon. Yeah. So, um, and we have Legion's Landing when that flips. Um, uh, I mean, you can have a long game, and we have the closer, right? I know there's a lot of four drops, so we're probably just playing like two Soren and four uh, Sanctum Seeker, but we have a lot of like incidental damage while at the same time gaining life. Um, we have the best removal in the format, um, and you can board into like duress and other discard outlets. I can see a deck like discard. I can see a deck like this too, reasonably depending on your metagame, uh, going with the third color to be able to like splash crackling doom in the sideboard or something. You know, like well that was three colors. Oh sure, yeah. so yeah, so like you don't really even need the heavy. Uh, those, those three colors are all so good yeah. that you could pick like two mains. And a sub, and and make your man a lot better than yeah. trying to rely on like a, a genuinely three color aggro deck because that's that's always a yeah. big problem. But I find any deck right now that has a main theme that can either board into or incorporate Gideon is is very yeah. strong. And, and I think you just <laughs> you you pick whatever whatever two things you really want to do the most main deck and build around those. It's obviously like a really good copter deck, right? Anything that with lots of one drops, anything that can take advantage of discard which we have madness creatures and the fact that if we go like um the falconrath gorger into smuggler's copter it means anything that we discard when we attack turn three with copter if it's a like a, a vampire it's, it's going straight play. into play yeah just straight into play yeah what do you guys think of the uh the two two kind of the squadron hawk vampire as a thing that you can then discard to all of your other vampires yeah it's three mana that's what yeah and it doesn't fly like it's just a gray ogre just I know it searches for other ones. You, so does it search for all three? Like if you play the first it one? It does search for all three, yes. That's better. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's possible. Like if someone out there wants to, to test it, I wouldn't I wouldn't blame them. Um, I don't have much time to test. I usually build a deck, jam, have time for like three or four games with Tony, and then we play a tournament. Yeah, he just goes 5-0 against me, and it's yeah. like, perfect. My deck is unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, all right, Matt Mealy, I, I I have a challenge for you. <laughs> November eighteenth. Yeah, I want you to beat me with vampires at the tournament. Yeah, now you're just going to build a deck that beats everything I just said. <laughs> all right, what deck are you going to play? If you say the deck you're going to play right now, and it's yeah, not I'm going to play my thing in the ice deck. You're playing thing in the ice deck. I don't even want Grixis thing in the ice. Oh, so you have a lot of cheap removal. You want me to play lots of tiny creatures. No, I think this is okay. If he's on, if he's on mono thing in the ice, then you're a fatal push deck. You're, it's okay. Man, I don't have forty four dollars for four more fatal push. You brought mine. You need them. Yeah, that's true. We're well, playing the same tournament, dummy. That's, that's true. We're trying to play the same deck. Yeah. <laughs> same colors. As soon as I build this Mardu deck, Matt's like, so, I'm going to play your deck. <laughs> anyways, I, the whole point is Matt Murday was wrong. Vampires is a very playable tribe, and Kevin was very right as dinosaurs are awesome. <laughs> All right, beat me with either dinosaurs or vampires. Oh man, dinosaurs look so sweet in Frontier. That like even Collect, the Ke- collected dinos. Well, well, even Kevin said like himself, like Dramokas Command and 
Oh, the one that the one that enrages Drakkar. Yeah, that, like that alone is ridiculous. The, the fact is, that you have like live. Elvish Mystic like, it has to. Matt, every time you say, okay, so when when I was listening to your Dino, Dinosaurs vs. Pirates episode, you kept saying that you have to untap with the Enrage guys, and that's just completely not true. What happens is you have to not interact for them to not do anything. So, for example, if you play the Ripjaw Raptor, I'm pretty sure that's what his name is, yeah. And, yeah. and you're thinking that it needs to untap to be effective, that's incorrect. Because now, if you trade in combat and draw a card, you are now two for one in your opponent. So what if your opponent? If you, yeah, that's, that's true. So if you play the dinosaur, you are now like already in virtual card advantage zone. So if they if they play a real removal spell like Fatal Push with a fetch land because it's a three drop, you are super okay with that. You just you just like free value all day. If they attack and you trade and draw a card, you're okay with that. If they lightning strike or abrade it and you draw a card, you're also okay with that. I actually don't really see the downside other than playing well, a bunch you, of a bunch of enraged creatures into like wrath. Well, the worst case scenario is that they fetch fatal push because they traded your four mana for their one mana and you don't get anything. And their fetch, yeah. and you know their fatal like the fatal push is like a hot commodity, right? Yeah, like yeah. people don't just have infinite fatal pushes. Sure. So if they fatal push your three drop, then your four drops are that much closer to being safer, and they're down a fetch land, and they paid a life to do it. Yeah, so it's not like Ripto the opportunity cost is zero is, on is Fatal Pushing a three drop on turn You three. don't lose harder than when you get your Ripjaw Raptor Fatal Pushed. Of so, course, but if you like, if you like, go turn three Thalia, or turn two Thalia, and your opponent just like has the fetch land of Fatal Push, like... You also missed out, there's, there's like, the nut draw of turn one Elish Mystic into one of the two ridiculous three drops the dinos have. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the three three that says players can't gain life, and the the scavenging use one, which is ridiculous in the format. And and to be honest, I know Matt and I haven't talked about dinosaurs much, so we're kind of going off on it here. <laughs> but the, the two ramp dinosaurs are totally reasonable as ramp spells. Like you don't need to play them as like a Naga Vitalist or like a Servant of the Conduit. If you go Elvis Mystic and they kill it, and then you go minus your dinosaur, you're still playing a four drop on turn three. Yeah. Like you traded one for one on your one mana, and then you're getting a boost ahead. So even just the generic stock, here are the dinosaurs from standard. You don't get Dramokas command. You don't get fetch lands. You don't get anything. Elvish mystic though. We get Elvish mystic. Yeah, no, no, right, no, 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 I'm saying like you we're don't good. get Elvish mystic. Like I think they put enough in the tribe to make it considerable. But now when you look at having a perfect mana, B Dramokas command, C Elvish mystic, like all these other cards are just kind of put that type of strategy over the top. I don't think it's like a collected company. Even we didn't even talk about because there's a bunch of good three drop dinosaurs. I think there's like there's a potential there, but the problem is dinosaurs are so shallow of a tribe that you have to look at things like um, Aldrazi mimic and or uh, metallic mimic, and it's just like. But what tribal payoff are you looking for, though? Okay, okay, wait though. So the thing I said about dinos, like there are good dinos. I think Ripjaw Raptor is a great card. I think it's not Siege Rhino. But I, I think that's a fair thought to have. But they're not. The problem they're, I have with a, a dinosaur deck one of the is same that there's colors. no tribal payoff, right? <laughs> so you're you're really playing maybe one or two of the best dinosaurs plus whatever else you you have in in those colors that that's good. So like Thalia would be a great example. I, At that I, point, I, you're I not playing a dinosaur. Deck. It's really really hard to justify going like turn two scavenging used dinosaur versus turn two Nissa Voice of Zendikar. Like it's real. It's really hard well, to compare those two things. Is like 
One's a turn two, three two that like doesn't really do anything, and the other one's Thalia Heretic. So we have we have two payoff cards for dinos that we have to say. How about this? Is this is how we have to consider our dinos playable or not as a tribe? Is communion with the dinosaurs good? Mm-hmm. And is the fight card good? Or, I mean, Jamoka's command is the fight card. No, there's a there's a dinosaur specific. Fight there's card. the Savage Stomp. Yeah. Which is the so three-mana fight, but you can cast it for one if it's on a dinosaur. But that's a sorcery compared with just, we have Pounce now, right? Which is one mana more, but it's an instant. But, one, like one, Ooh, but one it also sorcery. puts a plus one, plus one counter on the dino, doesn't it? Boom. Yeah, it does put a plus oh, one. Plus Matt one. Was oh, Matt so Oh, it totally wrong. does. That's true. I don't know who's monitoring our chat and putting up these cards, but they hire, like, give them a raise. Yeah. They're doing awesome. <laughs> Double their no pay. Yeah, exactly. So, okay, so so Savage Stomp, I think, is the questionable one, but Commune with the Dinosaurs is really, really, really good. It is. I, I played with it in Limited a lot, so anyone doesn't know, it's one green sorcery, look at the top five cards of your deck, put any land or, one land or dinosaur from those in your hand. Yeah, that's amazing. So, the question is, to see if, if the tribe is frontier playable, is are those, like, cards that tie the tribe together or a reason to give you to play many dinosaurs better than other things you can do in the format. That's true. That's true. Because yeah, you're, you're really looking for like the payoffs and the rug that ties the room together because yeah. without that, you're just playing worse tireless trackers and mm-hmm. siege rhinos. I guess the, another payoff too that we, that I guess another reason to play more dinos, although it's good by itself is the five mana guy that gives all other dinos haste. It's somewhat of a payoff. Yeah, that one's okay. Uh-huh. And Carnage Tyrants, obviously. What's the name of that one? That one is uh, Registrar Alpha. Yeah, Registrar Alpha, yeah. And, and Carnage Tyrants, obviously, like, an amazing six drop, right? If you can play that two turns early or one turn early off double ramp spell, yeah. then your opponent's, like, on Crackling Doom Blessed Alliance or Get Wrecked. Yeah. Like, that's it. So, I I, I think... I think um, we have a different approach to deck building or evaluating cards than maybe you guys have and maybe that's good that we're having these conversations because I think instead of writing off decks or certain cards from face value really have to like delve a little deeper and and, um, I feel like just like another card I didn't know that Matt Murday Matt the wrong Murday uh, and I were on other sides of was Sorcerer's Spyglass oh I think that card's insane I'm pretty sure everyone's (laughs) sideboard in Frontier should be Two Spyglass and 13 other cards. <laughs> um, so, Matt, have you... So my question... Matt, I have a, my question... Yeah, go. Go ahead. Uh, Matt, Murday, have you ever had a Fetchland Pithing Needled? I haven't, but my issue with that is that I feel like by the time you're getting that down against a Fetchland... They've used a lot of their but land. Think about like, this, two, Matt. This two mana is a lot slower than... Oh, may, may, I, may I? You may, you may. may. I? Okay, so think about this, Matt. I'm on the play... And I go turn one, tap land, because that's the worst play that I can do. And you go turn one, fetch land. Okay? I go turn two, spyglass. Before that spyglass resolves, you have to fetch. And that initiative on its own has, like, unspoken power. Especially even if you just make them fetch with, with minimum information about what you're playing. Sure. And just, even if you go turn six, spyglass... And you've been holding up a fetch land for, for your fatal push. For your or, fatal push, yeah, you have to fetch because if you let that resolve and I name your fetch land, I've stone rained you, and I get to see and, your hand and any other ones that you draw. So 
it's not only that. So it's it's having early and say you say you play a Wooded Foothills and you have two windswept heaths in your hand and I spyglass you. I just double stone range you. Yeah, because if you fetch thinking that I'm going to name your foothills and I get to see your hand and name your your windswept heaths, like I just I again peaked and double stone like him to you. <laughs> Except I hit both your lands instead yeah. of random cards. And you know the cool and cool is also. So part of my problem here is it seems kind of like magical Christmas land. Oh, no, I don't but, feel like that's going to happen a lot of the but time. Here's the thing: this is the this only is, lands they have are. Fetches. But this is a unique scenario to Frontier, which is why it needs to be explored. Because this is something that happens in Legacy like all the time. Yeah. Is when you have a turn one pithing needle against a blind opponent, or they go fetch land, and you go pithing needle, and they have to fetch, and you get to see what they're on and. All this stuff happens from it, but Spyglass in Frontiers is going to be like a very unique scenario of, and, of attacking people's fetch lands in their hands. And that's not even adding on to the scenarios of you having the cards that they brought in the, the Spyglass for, right? That This is just like a, okay, yeah, I brought this in for Nahiri or Smuggler's Copter for Marvel, or Sahili. For- but then I looked at your hand on turn two, and I can double stone rain you. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think it has. I think it has a lot. And, and, and I'm going to talk about Renegade Rallyer a lot, so just deal with it. <laughs> the fact, the fact that this is only two mana has more to do with it because even on, like I said, on turn six or seven, if I get to see your hand that you've been like opting to perfection and trying to dig through time, then yeah, I can. It, it's it's going to be a really really powerful card. Because the baseline interacts with fetch lands, anything more than that, and it's inner and it's sort of working on the level that it's supposed to. But as a baseline, if I just get to play it and you just say, "Yeah, sure, that resolves," I get to stone rain your first land, or I get to see your hand and stone rain you twice. It is it is a really 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 big deal that us old school and legacy players, yeah, yeah really think about when when pithing needle effects are available. Also, as a like um, an aggro player. Playing against mid ranger control, knowing their hand—it's the most important thing. Knowing how to sequence your threats and how they're going to line up their removal spells, or what to hold your blossoming defense or negate for, is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. So again, like I, I keep hearing you talking about stone raining them, and I just I don't think that's something that's going to happen a lot of the time because two mana is a lot more than one mana. If you're on the play, it's a lot better. Yeah, well, like, when you're on the play, which is arguably half the time, it's insane, but if you lose a match and you're on the and, and you're on the play because you lost a match, it actually gives it, like, that much more of a percentage boost of being a card you want to play in general, and Stone Rain is, like, like I, I don't want you to think of Stone Rain as, like, why it's powerful. I want you to think of that's, like, sort of the... That's, like, the, that, that's like the, the free roll. Exactly. Like sometimes you get to double stone rain them for nothing, yeah. and sometimes it's just a pithing needle that is like a one for one with Gideon. That which gives is you like information. Okay. Yeah, which is okay. But sometimes right. you're going to double stone rain them and like put them off of no mana for the rest of the game randomly on turn two. That's it's, it's kind of like the the free double stone rain is kind of like fall comes and you put so you put on your fall jacket and you find like five bucks in your pocket. Yes, exactly. It's like, like that. sweet. <laughs> Sweet, that's But you're wearing cool. the jacket for a reason anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll put it this way. I'll, I'll, I'll do some more testing with that card. You guys have convinced me enough that I'll do some more testing with that card. But my challenge stands. I, Matt Mealing, I want you to beat me with either dinosaurs 
were vampires at the showdown. Well, Matt, when you come up with a strong decision, uh, send a picture to Monkey or I, and we'll tell you what card to spyglass. Yeah. <laughs> and you'll never lose an untap league again. It'll be great. All right, guys, I'm going to step away from talking about specific cards for a minute. Why don't we talk a little bit about the meta as a whole, kind of what you guys have seen from it, what you think of the meta right now, the Frontier meta? Um, I'm a little out of date, so Tony's going to take this one. So I went back and I listened to your guys' podcast because I'm good like that and uh, actually really enjoyed them. So it made it easier to go back and hit the archive. But what I think about the metagame right now and when you guys went over the uh, God of Frontier 5 or whatever number they're on right now, the 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 top 8 decks sounded uh, pretty bland. In my opinion, there was nothing that I was like unexpected. There was nothing that was like stimulating. There was nothing that was exciting. But as Monkey Mealing so eloquently reminded me, is that when it comes to money and prizes on the line, you're not going to see anything like that. So I readjusted my expectations, went over your top top eight decks to watch out for again, and it all kind of makes sense. Um, the the I, I was kind of like intrigued at the blue-black X variant, which I, I think I agree with Matt, where there's a lot of people porting their standard decks over to Frontier decks, which is why we see Mono Red versus Atarka Red. That's another discussion we can get into if you want, but I do think that standard bleeds over into Frontier, and that's where, where you see some more standard-esque decks. And uh, I was hoping to see more standard decks. I was hoping to see like a Rug Energy deck over. I was hoping to see um, uh, like a like a Mar- like a Mardu vehicles deck that gets to play Smuggler's Copter and Heart of Kieran, and, and they just weren't there because I think uh, when your prizes are so big on the line that innovation comes second to you know consistency and, and playing what you know. So, like I said, the last tournament you guys you guys went over the results for were, were kind of like expected metagame results, but I I think that. Um, with some more events coming up in Toronto and, and Matt and I getting excited about things like this, we'll hopefully see a few more, a few more standard brews bleeding their way into frontier. It's really hard. It's really hard because actually it may be a good thing, but it's hard to like pinpoint metagames when there's, there was, is or was, there's three distinct metagames. There was the Toronto metagame, the Harajuri metagame and the online metagame. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know, like, if you guys put all the numbers together, but I feel like it's really hard to say, oh, this is the top deck, but, really, like, for what tournament? Like, what are you saying? What okay, you- so, so let's put it this way. Going into this ANC 1K, what are you guys expecting? What are you guys yeah, preparing that's for? That's a great way to put it. Uh, Atarka tar- a Red and Midrange decks. Yeah, I think this is, like, because this is... Um ANC's first 1K, I think you'll find a few more people who are willing to uh, try something a little more brewy or, or exciting to them. I, I don't want to say like less competitive and more fun, but that's sort of the sentiment of it, because fun decks can absolutely still be competitive, and people with lots of reps and, and uh, a good handle on their deck will, yeah. will have a better opportunity than people who just put together what they think is the best 75 or whatever yeah. Matt played last week. <laughs> uh, but... But, but I think we're going to see a bunch more decks where it's like, oh, snap, like, you have three fun ofs in your deck. Or I, I had, like, I've been thinking about that color combo and hadn't seen it. I think it's going to be a little more like what I ran into in Las Vegas, where there'll be 25 people there, but there's going to be 22 different decks because people are just 
happy to play the format and play the decks they want and don't have a general uh, conglomeration of like the the general sense of what is the best deck. So I'm gonna I'm gonna net deck. It's very possible too that there's a because Frontier is new to ANC that there's a higher percentage than normal of standard decks ported over. Like yeah. now, now current standard decks yep. with a few cards changed to to be Frontier, which is fine because that's actually what you want. You want people to be like, "Hey, I'll try that format with," and they'll just use their standard deck and they'll eventually buy a few Frontier cards and update it and so on and so on. And once they get bored of that deck, they'll completely like buy into or build a a very Frontier deck. So you know what, guys? I think that that's actually a great point. We might make that in a little note, talk about that on another podcast, maybe even before the coming tournament, to say, hey, here's some Frontier deck, or here's some Standard decks. Here's the couple cards you could do, improve and make a Frontier deck without spending a bunch of money, spending a bunch of time. Yeah, our um, our podcast that we did right before the the, the North of North American Frontier Championships kind of did the same thing. We, we listed off, like, 20, 25 decks, and we made sure to include decks that were portable like that you could port over from that current standard um and you can't get mad about that right that's like that's actually what you want because that helps the format grow yeah and i think you also touched on a good point that there is still a little bit of that regional area there's toronto decks you only really see in toronto we've definitely seen some decks that you only see in the japan format like the jeskai flyers deck really only shows up there you see a lot more in soul there than you see outside of there and that, that's what's nice about having a podcast like this or like what you guys had before is that you get to talk about what's going on in different areas and kind of compare notes, which otherwise wouldn't be possible. I, honestly, I think of the like eight or nine months that we were like really deep into doing frontier stuff. Tony, I think the most fun I ever had was when we decided to play back and do commentary over the, the very first uh, Japanese, frontier? Yeah. Oh, Japanese yeah. frontier that man. was a great I, I was there watching that live with you guys that was a lot that of fun was, that, that was, was, that was that really good. <laughs> because you know what because they would make plays and play cards that we wouldn't and I think that was great yeah because I think commentating maybe one of our events would have been super boring it, it would be pretty generic yeah yeah here's what they play and why they play it yeah it, it's almost like doing like a modern event when you watch like a, a modern SCG and you're like that's Grix's shadow, and that's how it yeah. works, and he did that right, or yeah. he didn't do that right. I like it pretty interesting where it's like, we need to try this card. Yeah. Why don't we have Harsh Mentor on our deck yeah. yet? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, I don't know. T- to tell you the truth, I think we got really, really deep into the competitive aspect of Frontier by by the end of our run, and maybe that's what burns us out. So I'm kind of glad to go back to the beginning again. I'm really excited. I'll, I'll talk to you guys about the deck that I have laid in front of me and that I'm going to play on the 18th at ANC because I am more excited to talk about it than I am to be deceptive and try and win with it. And 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 that's that's the type of thing that always stimulated me about Frontier is there was because there was no net decking really. The net decking was like asking your friend what they're playing and then trying to like meta game against them in like a 30 or 40 person tournament. And to me, that's. That's more like the original spirit of magic. Like when when you and I play old school yeah. and the reason that I only play three Juzum Jins is because I only have three Juzum Jins. Like <laughs> that's fun. To me, that's an exciting part of the game. And it makes me more interested in meeting new people. It makes me more interested in trading. It makes me more interested in online communities. Yeah. Having this sort of like, I mean, Mark Rosewater always says, you know, restrictions breed creativity yeah. or whatever. But I think Frontier is sort of the same way. And I think because we have uh, this 
mtgfrontier.com yeah. podcast, you know, yeah. local community, then then the feedback you get from from your fellow players is really really important. It's it's not just uh, another article mm-hmm. that's going up for someone else to get a bit of cheddar mm-hmm. writing. You know, it's it's about what matters and what's important and what's going to happen on the weekend. And I think the cool thing about Frontier too, and, and when people are sharing lists, I kind of wish we shared them like we do with old school. You just take pictures and post them. Is instead of going like. Oh man, he's only got three of that or two of that, or you mean this isn't optimal? Optimal because of I would rather ask, why do you have these numbers? I'm curious to know what testing or what um, playthrough in your head got you to these numbers. And the answer of I couldn't find one is okay. <laughs> yeah. That's a completely acceptable <laughs> answer of like I only had three Gideons. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And on the other side of what you were saying as kind of a, it's nice to be a little bit more casual, looking at it from a competitive side, if you guys had taken six months away from standard, you'd be completely lost. You wouldn't have any of the cards that are driving standard right now, but you can take a little bit of time away from the format and come back into Frontier and still have cards that you can play, still have decks you can make that are going to be competitive. Exactly. Yeah, and I think the idea of the idea of Frontier is that uh, Wizards is attempting to make the, the standard decks as competitive as possible. Like they're, they want them to be powerful. They want them to do really interesting things. They just need to sort of manage that for like a closed environment of standard. But when we take cards like dinosaurs and pair them with cards like Fetchlands or Delirium or Eclectic Company or something, then we we unlock these hidden powers of of the cards in a format that only we're involved in. You know, like Wizards isn't prepping for Frontier. They're not thinking about dinosaurs as collected company anymore. That's our job. Yeah. And the fact that we have super powerful cards that we've seen uh, just be standalone, like Gideon and other stuff is probably pretty good. Like, Naya dinosaurs with Gideon is maybe a thing. Who knows? No one's ever going to know except us, because we're the only ones who care. If we could run back and do things a little differently, I would run back and go, instead of these are the top eight expected decks... I would love to have done, these are the top eight brews I would have loved to play. That would be a little more interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So we could go into that, or we can go into the decks you guys were ta- wanted to talk about for, but yeah, why, why don't we go into that? This deck you got laid out in front of you, you're looking to play it up in a few weeks. Can you tell us about that deck? All right, is it okay if I just like go over the numbers really fast? Yeah, no, go ahead. And, that, that'd be great. All right, so, uh, so the removal suite is four Fatal Push, two Collective Brutality, two Cut to Ribbons, one Abrade. Three Coligans Commands and two Fumigates. So you see like a bunch of really early cheap removals, some versatile stuff with multi-modes, Collective Brutality, Abrade, Coligans Command, and then the five mana Sweeper in Fumigate times two. Uh, To get there, we have uh, four Tormenting Voice, which seems like a lot of Tormenting Voice, but uh, discard one other card to draw two cards in in sort of a reanimator strategy is, is completely reasonable. So four Tormenting Voice to bridge the gap. Uh, along with four filigree familiars. So if you're not familiar with the filigree familiar, it's a three mana two two artifact that when it enters you gain two life, and when it dies you draw a card. So very feeling of solemn simulacrum. Only the mana's changed and what happens changed, but that idea of it's like a stepping stone that's gonna it's gonna bolster your life total. It's gonna replace itself. It's gonna interact along the way uh, to you really trying to do what you're trying to do which is the Planeswalker suite of one Liliana Last Hope, two Nahiri the Harbinger, and four Liliana's Death Majesty. 
And wow, then, four of those. Four, okay. yeah. The real, and then it's the the reason the deck it's, exists. It's the reason the deck exists. Yeah, and then the the payoffs for that is two cataclysmic gear Hulk, two combustible gear Hulk, and three noxious gear Hulk. Why three, Tony? Because that's what I have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and a mana base of twenty five land that we have not got correct yet. Yeah, twenty five land because we're looking at cards like tormenting voice to help. Uh, Sort of fix this, and really the only double pips are either on spells that we can cheat out on a double black spell. So, uh, com- uh, combustible gear hulk or cataclysmic gear hulk cheated out with Liliana off black black, or Nahiri on black white. But everything else is like very no mana, one mana uh, centric. So my first question about the deck, is there a reason that you're playing Tormenting Voice over Carthetic Reunion? Absolutely. Yeah, we actually tested that. That's, that's a very great question. Uh, Carthetic Reunion is three top decks away from being castable in general. So if you top deck it and you have no cards... Okay, so when you are when you have nothing else in hand, you can't just pick it up and play it, okay? You can't play it, and you can't play it the next turn. Mm-hmm. You have to wait three turns, so you have to top deck it, then another card, then another card, and then you have to spend mana to turn those into something new. Uh, so we went with Tormenting Voice instead. That, that and it was really hard whenever... Uh, we did try to cast it, is to choose two cards to discard. Yeah, because a lot of the times you you wanted to pitch something like a fatty, like a, a Gear Hulk, but then you have to pitch a land, yeah. which puts you one step away from what you're trying to do. So the, the two cards you had to pitch was actually conflicting because we have a bunch of low mana spells like Fatal Push and Collective Brutality and, and Cut to Ribbons. Or you would have to discard two removal spells and then draw, not removal. To land, right? right? Yeah, or, or you know, you would discard, like, your Fumigate and your land to draw a land and a card that didn't kill all their creatures. So, so really, the investment cost of discarding two other cards was actually just too high. We're not, it's not, like, that dedicated of a gra- graveyard deck that it needs to ditch two cards. Yeah, this is, a, we, we opted for Tormenting Voice over something like Painful Truths or uh, Read the Bones. Yeah, for Curve. For the curve, because we want to play it on turn two, and we want to be able to pitch, like, the double Gear Hulk or Gear Hulk Lily in our opening hand, which is another reason why we play four Lily. Because you need to be able to discard one of your Lilies on turn two or three or four to hit your land drops to actually cast your spells. And oh my goodness, Lily by herself? Just making... The fact that she can just tick up, protect herself, and threaten to wipe all their creatures... Okay. Was ridiculous. Yes or no? She feels kind of like Gideon in a way where on an empty board, if you play her, she can win the game. Yes. Yeah. Where like you play a Gideon on turn four if they don't have anything or they don't don't make a player miss a land drop, you've already won the game. It's just a matter of how long it takes. Liliana feels the same way. If you play her on turn five and you mill yourself to make a zombie and put her loyalty at six and they don't do anything, you then get to either reanimate something and in this case like a Gear Hulk that's going to give you insane advantage. Or tick her up to seven and make another blocker, and her minus seven destroy all non-zombies is super, super, super relevant. The fact that you get to go tick up, tick up, wipe the board, and have two creatures left is is incredibly, incredibly powerful. It feels very much like Elspeth Terrell, the five-man yeah, Elspeth, yeah. and she was always one who is almost good enough for modern. Okay, that, that makes sense. I've got a couple other questions maybe about the deck. Shoot, let's go. One of them is, I see you guys have a lot of artifact synergy, or you've got a lot of artifacts in the deck. Do you have anything that's a payoff for artifacts, or is that 
something you'd look at? Tried refurbished, it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, that, that's actually a really great question, because it does almost look like a refurbished deck with the four familiars and seven gear hulks. But what we found is just... Yeah, I was if, thinking that when you were first talking about yeah, it. Yeah, okay. if the gear hulks were just titans... This would be just as good, like if they were if they were just a, a giant creature of the of the type. But what makes it sort of a little bit better is cards like um, Cataclysmic Gearhulk being able to see any of our other creatures as the artifact. So it can see a Noxious Gearhulk as the artifact and itself as the creature, or f- familiar as the artifact and itself as a creature. So uh, you can sort of keep two of them there, but. But generally speaking, it was it was really easy on the mana to play Filigree Familiar on the way up. You didn't really have to stress too much about your fetch lands or, or how those worked out. But yeah, we, we sort of restarted as a fur- refurbished deck and, and didn't really need the refurbish, but the artifacts were just incidentally good. Okay, so I, the other thing I'd like to hear is if you guys have a sideboard planned out already, if there's anything interesting that's going to come out from there that we haven't already seen in the main deck. You're on that, Tony. I haven't even thought of a sideboard. Uh, what I have is like... It, it's not, it's nothing that's going to blow your mind, but some of the cards that I really liked and I want to see a bunch of within this build are things like A, Transgress the Mind slash Duress. I think both of those cards are incredibly powerful for what we want to do, and that might even be ported over to uh, Kite Sail Freebooter now, the two mana Ooh. one, two flyer that duresses, uh, because it interacts with Liliana a little bit better, it interacts with Nahiri, it interacts with Actually, little Liliana too. You can call against command it back. It it's, sort of does along the same lines as what Transgress and and Duress are doing. Uh, but the other card that I really like and that I'm just sold on a ton of is is a Braid. I think I think that card as like a three or even four of in the seventy five of this deck is is where you want to be because having the early damage slash artifact interaction is what's going to really keep you alive against the aggressive decks like uh, in soul or hardened scales or even abzan aggro when they're going to beat you to death with a uh, turn to um uh, warden of the first year no the i mean copter's insane but the the the, the scrounger thank you <laughs> <laughs> i knew if i snapped my fingers and stuttered long enough we'd come to it. Uh, Scrap Heap Scrounger. So, uh, for, for for example, my removal of Fatal Push plus Fetch Lands and a Braid, I think, can deal with anything that's up to and including a Siege Rhino. We haven't talked about these. So I can deal with I can deal with all of the artifact creatures, including Gear Hulks, and up to Blue Gear Hulk, Green Gear Hulk. I have multiple Shatter effects on top of Coligan's Command, and then Fatal Push plus Fetch Lands deals with things like Turn Two Anafenza. Turn to Thalia, you know, Giant Warden of the First Trees. So I, I really think between a Braid and Fatal Push, uh, and we mentioned it earlier with uh, Unlicensed Disintegration, but between a Braid and a Fatal Push, I think you actually have the ability to kill everything that's relevant. And, and Colga's Command, I think, is just a, a sweet little addition for all our creatures of value. I mean, it's just great in every deck. Yeah, exactly. Like I, I, it, it, it I almost is. didn't want to touch on it because it's just so. Right, so I have, I have one like, more question, and this one is for Matt Murday. Matt Murday's usually our uh, pessimist. Yeah, Matt, what do you think about this deck? Is this something you'd want to play? I'm not sure yet. Uh, a vote from Tony and Matt means means more than most other people. <laughs> Tentatively, right. it looks a little janky to me, but uh, I know these guys are good players. They've got a good judgment, so. I'll have to wait and see what they do with it. And, well, and you're you're totally right, Matt. Because if if 
random player A sat down against random player B, and random player A was playing this, and random player B was playing, like, mono-white humans, this deck's probably going to get smashed. However, if you have an idea of what's going on in the format and what what a turn one planes into Kithian means from your opponent, I think you can manipulate your fatal pushes and cuts and abrades and Colian's commands and things like that to actually be favored against the aggressive decks because once you get to four and five mana, like once you slam in Hiri and exile their like four drop or five drop, and then you slam a Liliana and have another creature, and you just start curving out like that mid-range strategy, I, I think this deck is, is fairly equipped to deal with the the go go wide like beatdown strategies. But you need to understand from turn one or turn two what the relevant cards in the matchup are. Like I need to understand that Fatal Push needs to kill an Archangel of Tithes against mono-white humans, and that's just the end of discussion. Because there isn't really any other great way to interact with it, I mean, aside from actually getting to six mana and Noxious Gearhawking it, mm. but once you're getting to six mana, you're sort of like on the right track anyways. It, it so, felt so awesome to Ultimate Nahiri search out a Noxious Gearhawk, kill something, attack, it couldn't be blocked as Menace. And then it went back to your hand. Yeah, the next turn you just slam it. That was I ridiculous. There's, it, it, it felt so much more fun and cool than going, Emrakul, kill you. Yeah. I, like, <laughs> sure. Sure, I could have won the game. But that just, like, that was, like, plays like that is why you play Magic, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So I guess I guess my answer is different for, like, the A and C event than it is for uh, if I were to bring a deck to the UOL. I, I wouldn't bring this deck to the UOL because I think I think blue black control would eat it. Uh primarily because uh Vraska's contempt uh makes planeswalkers really hard to get your value out of. I mean the so, fact that you get to play Liliana minus her reanimate a Gearhawk and then they're gonna contempt what? Your Gearhawk or your Liliana feels like way less bad than you're making it sound. But I totally agree with you that Vraska's contempt is is one of those cards that that like blue black X, whether it's Grixis or Esper, was sort of like looking to bridge the gap because it's four mana and it sits on hieroglyphic illumination. You then get to pass the turn with a very very potent removal spell or a very potent draw spell. I think is is what's appealing to me, and I'm even someone who would be interested in playing like a blue black control deck. I, I think that Surprise Kanta and, and Rusty's Contempt are really strong. With the right sideboard, this deck is going to crush control. I mean, all I have to do is play... See, my, my counter to that is I think getting a 5-drop through counter spells is going to be really rough. Sure. And and even if you do, like it's not like it used to be where it's like, okay, I landed Gideon, I win the game now. That it, Control doesn't work like that anymore because of Raska's Contempt is my main, my main issue. Yeah, and I agree with you. I, I don't think there's as many... I don't think there's as many um, counter spells like, that you're really looking for. Like, Raska's Contempt has, like taking over a counterspell slot, so instead of them trying to counter your spell, they just let it resolve and then kill it, right? So I think you're, if you resolve something like a 5-drop of, you know, Liliana's Death Majesty, and you get a, you get like a 2-2 two, two out of it or whatever, then that's, that's sort of like the path that you want to be on, and cards like Filigree Familiar are going to help you sort of grind that out, and Coligan's Command is going to help you grind that out, and cards like uh, like Liliana, the last hope, last hope, or Nahiri can really help sort of mitigate that one for one game that control is really good at. Oh my! Um, was it uh, Herald of Anguish against against control? Reanimating that—that's the improvised one. That's the improvised one. But like each end step, they have to discard a card. So if you're like 
if you've already like thrown off a couple uh, a couple discard spells and you reanimate that, yeah. And so Matt, think of the, if you think about it like this: if you post board, if you switch your like fatal pushes and cuts or braids or whatever for uh, duress and transgress, then your curve looks something like duress into transgress into Coligan's command, discard a card into Nahiri. So if they if they don't line up with you perfectly every step of the way, then they, they can they can find themselves falling behind pretty fast. Or, but I but I totally or, I totally agree with or you. Or even if you're going like duress, transgress, um three mana lily. That, like, well that's gonna be really they, strong, yeah. They they need a Veraskis contempt or they're gonna lose. Yeah. Like and, how many turns do they have to draw one, right? So they that's true. That's true. I mean, that that's also like the perfect sideboard opening hand, right? Yeah, but I mean, that's that's the thing that I've I've sort of learned as I've matured as a Magic player is like an opening hand of seven game two against a deck that you know that looks like two noxious gear hulks and like a cathartic reunion. You can't keep no matter how many spells you can cast if it doesn't line up to your opponent. Then you need to be aware of that and. If you mulligan to a four-land hand that has, like, land, land, duress, transgress, you have a better chance of winning that game than you do have something that's just jammed into a bunch of nothings. That's why I don't play any that doesn't have Smuggler's Copter. You always have the perfect game. Yeah, Smuggler's Copter. <laughs> hey, that's why a braid is so important. Uh, uh, because Smuggler's Copter is so powerful that if any deck against you, in yeah. general, lands a Smuggler's Copter and it goes unanswered for three turns, I believe you've lost the game. Like, three turns with an unanswered Smuggler's Copter, you've lost the game no matter how many turns it takes. But between a Braid, Fatal Push, and Coligan's Command, I feel like something like this, where you're trying to get to four and five drops, has a better chance in general. But yeah, Matt, I totally agree with you that Vraska's Contempt is, is a very, very strong control card, and it, it gives control uh, a much more stable footing in an unknown metagame. I guess, here, here's another question I have. How are you going to deal with Control's late game, right? Because it doesn't sound like your deck's going to be fast enough to stop them from getting to the Gearhawk dance, which is my main concern. So to be fair, between, like, Coligan's commands and a Braids, like, you should be able to deal with any Gearhawk that comes down because you just have, like, 80 million Shatter effects. But or well, how about Scarab God? That's the other one that they can kind of pull out. That's a uh, yeah. Nahiri can exile it. Yeah, so Nahiri oh, can exile true. it, and, and, and she's important for that. I guess, I guess we have two Vraska's Contempt in our board. But again, sure. yeah, like, like maybe we're <laughs> just playing the Vraska's Contempt too. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you that there's there's been a few cards from the newer sets that are just, like, control-oriented game changers, like Search for Escanta and, and uh, Vraska's Contempt. But, so, but again, Control's main goal is to line up their spells with your spells every time. And if they stumble, they're losing. I think this is a great time to transition transition to a question that you guys had for me. <laughs> sure, my question here, we've talked about a couple of your decks, and we've really hyped them up on our show. We've talked about your Dark Atarka deck and your Blue-White Humans deck as these ingenuitive twists in current Frontier decks by splashing this extra color. And I asked the guys, and I asked them, what's the next Matt Mealing splash going to be? And I didn't really get an answer. So I'll ask you directly, what's the... What's the next splash color that we should be expecting out of you? Um, so, that's a good question. It is. So i I think maybe you guys see the decklist different than how I put them together. I don't know if that makes sense. So the reason why I think this is a great follow up to what we were talking about is when I build decks, um, i I look in as a, as a whole seventy five and to see, hey, what is 
this deck's weakness? Like, what what do I need to sure up with the board? Or what's a good main deck um, card that's going to deal with cards that are heavily played main deck in this metagame? And I think that's how, like, when Matt was asking about, well, how are you going to deal with control? Well, we're not really worried about a game one because we're going to sit down and craft a few days before the tournament. Um, we're going to theory craft. We'll figure out what Tony's worst matchups are, and we're going to extend those into his 15 sideboard cards. Yeah, and if my sideboard looks like 9, 10, 11 cards for a certain matchup, yeah. then that's okay. That's actually okay. So, and why, and that's kind of how I came up with the blue splash for uh, the Mono White Humans deck. Um, I had played Abzan, Aggro for, or Tarka Red, I think is all I really played in tournaments, right? In showdowns. Yep. Um, and I always wanted to play our, uh, Archangel of Ties. Like, I think I even got a foil set. Like I had talked about playing it for months, so I threw it together. Um, and I and I had played like decades of white weenie decks. And anyone who has any knowledge of white weenie decks, you know that your worst matchup is control. Yep. Um, they get to turn five, and it's already game over. Just yeah. stop playing. You yeah. feel bad. <laughs> um, so it, it was. It was very simple. It's okay. So. Uh, what do I need to do in my 75 to have game against control deck? Well, usually what I've also done in aggro decks in the past is you just play like three to five counter spells to counter their sweeper or like a very timely removal spell. Um, and in frontier, it's very easy to splash because as you saw in the mana base, it was just eight fetch lands and uh, one blue eye dual land. And that's just how I came to that splash. It was like, what card do I need to sure up my bad matchup? It was outside of the color that I was playing, but very easily uh, playable. So that's how I came up with that splash. So if, if there's a splash in in a, in a a deck to come, I don't really know it until I kind of lay out the deck and I figure until, out until it kind of happens. Okay. Yeah. Until I be like, hey, what are my matchups, and what do I need to sure up this matchup? And is something is it easily splashable? Um, and the funny thing about the the Dark Atarka is actually that deck. Like uh, it was right after what set was that? Was that Kellid? Not Kellish? That was our right. Our, our, our station. Yeah. Okay. So um, the the second that I saw Driven to Despair, um, I'm like, I have to play this card. This, this card is ridiculous. So uh, we kind of theorycrafted a few different shells, and it just seemed like whatever had the best one drops was the best way to play the card, and that's how like I lowered the Atarka the Atarka red curve to have like what was it like twelve or fourteen one drops, and all and the fact that try to get as much prowess in there so it would double trigger off playing it and flashing it back. Um, and it was kind of like it felt like a combo kill because if you ever hit them with the the discard side of it, you just win the game. You don't win the game right on that that turn, but you're kind of a lock to win within two more turns. Yeah, there's no coming back. From yeah, that. I, I and, and that was a super easy splash. That was again was just like eight or ten fetches in, in one dual land. My, my, and I think those were already fetches most of Tarka red lists were running already. Yeah, exactly. My personal opinion on the, the Dark Atarka red list is that it is the 
best aggressive red deck in Frontier, like, not close. I think that Matt's Dark Atarka build is the most versatile and streamlined version of a mono red deck that you can get. In Frontier, if I were gonna if you're asking me should I play Goblins, Mono Red, Atarka Red, like Dark Atarka, I think the Dark Atarka deck is the best deck not even close, because if you resolve that spell, you win the game. And I think the important part to distinguish between the Dark Atarka deck and like a Tarka Red is what you were trying to resolve with the Tarka Red, and when I was listening to your last podcast about wondering uh, whether or not the Tarka Reds were playing Smuggler's Copter. Uh, the reason that you played a Smuggler's Copter is because on turn 4, a Smuggler's Copter with Become a Men's Team or Battle Rage hits for 18. Right? It's a 3-3, three, three, plus 6, plus 6, double strike. And you get to fuel your Become a Men's with your own Smuggler's Copter. So, I think that's very, very, very strong. But it's much more easy to interact with, with cards like Fatal Push and Abrade, than something like Driven to Despair. Because in Driven to Despair, if you have 4 creatures out on turn 4... They kill two of your creatures, and then they still discard two cards, and you still draw two cards. And that, I think, is more unbeatable as a red deck aggressor than, saying, having a double lightning bolt for one mana in your hand sometimes. Mm -hmm. So when I was listening to your what aggressive red deck should we play, I, I think that Matt's build from the North American Frontier Championship is close to, if not perfect, excluding sideboard for a red aggressive deck. Yeah, the, the deck I, the deck lost. I 100% agree with that. That is my interpretation as well. Uh, the, yeah, and I think the deck lost to itself in the top four. Like, it was, I don't know, I kind of felt like it was, if if I if I didn't flood, like, in top four, I flooded both games. Like, I think I I ended that match in two games with something like 17 lands between the two games. Um, Like, I felt like a lock to win to win that tournament. Yeah, like when you lost, I was like, "What happened?" You're like, "I flooded," and I was like, "All right, yeah, that happens." Yeah. <laughs> that that is the variance of magic, but it, it felt that strong. I'm like, there is nothing that I'm not going to beat if if I just draw the right amount of lands and spells. Lands and spells. That's it. Yeah, and I I still agree with that. And then going into fancy Sunday, if one or two or five people played it, I wouldn't fault them at all. I think I think it is actually the best red aggressive deck in the format, and that includes in Soul Artifact decks. All right, I think I'm going to bring us to. I'm sad to say it, but probably our last question for the night. We're already running a little long from what we like to do. This one's going to be fun. What we'd like to know: What is your white whale deck? That something you've always wanted to build in Frontier, but you could just never get the numbers right. Never were able to get there. So, like I remember from way back when you guys were talking about a Hero's Blade deck. I don't know if that's still it. <laughs> oh man, is there anything Hero's still out Blade. there? Oh. <laughs> Hot What's the deck you've always wanted to brew, but you haven't been able to get it right in Frontier? Oh, I know mine. Go for it. Mine is... I think for like three episodes, I went off on this card. It is Herald of Anguish. Ooh. <laughs> uh, I just... Yeah, I don't... I, it might be different now that... Uh, I don't know. remember the exact casting cost. It was at like black, black... It's like five, five, black, five black. yeah. <laughs> and, it, and what's the what's? It's a five-five flyer with improvised. Improvised. You can pay what two and a black to give some mice, two mice. Two. Yeah. And at the end of your at the end of your turn, each, each opponent discards a card. I think it might yeah, actually be it. dual. Sorry, that's the active on that. You have to sacrifice an artifact. It's a well. sacrifice an artifact. Yeah, one one and a black and sacrifice an artifact. Okay. Anyways, I think this might actually be doable now that we have treasures. But um, I really like. 
I think we... The old treasures, I had two mana for this. I think we... No, you have to tap and stuff. Like, this is how much I wanted to play this card. And I think the trade was even with with uh, Matt Always Wrong Murday. I think um, it was, actually. I think we traded, like, an Ugin for for four Herald the week it came out. <laughs> we did. Yeah, <laughs> well, we messed up. <laughs> well, that's, like, that's how, like, that's the thing. Like, when you want to play a card, you're like, just get it. Like, for some reason, it was, like, a 10 or $12 card, right? It was 18 bucks. Was it? It was 18 bucks. Um, <laughs> anyways, so, and I just I could never get it to work. And, and I, that card is so strong. Um, the fact that it's just a 5-5 five, five flyer alone is ridiculous. So, uh, I agree. I tried to brew around it, too. Yeah. And, Tony, wh- wh- how about you? I think, actually, I have the deck in front of me that, I'm, that I've am that i been most interested in playing because since Liliana Death Majesty got spoiled, I immediately brewed up a deck and and proxied for them. I had every card except for the Death Majesty. And and the, the little hiccup that I ran into... Uh, in initial testing was every time I would slam like a turn four or a turn five Liliana and reanimate Emrakul, my opponent would just be like crackling doom, redirect the two damage to your Liliana and kill your Emrakul. I was like really sad. So I just stopped playing it and stopped considering it as like a thing. But, but I think honestly Liliana's death majesty is the card that I've wanted to play with from its release from, from its spoiling. Yeah. Like, I remember before it even came out, I was, like, in love with this card. I was like, oh, my God, I'm just going to put, like... You jammed any- it in everything. Anything, <laughs> anything back into play. It doesn't even matter. I wasn't even really, like, originally starting with Emrakul's or anything like that. I My original plan was to be able to go turn three Crackling Doom, turn four, I don't know, who cares, turn five Liliana to, like, reanimate a... Um, Goblin Dark Dwellers to just Crackling Doom again. I just wanted, like, 30 Crackling Dooms in my deck. And and Liliana was one of the cards that actually worked along that over something like say refurbish at four mana that would reanimate. It's it's funny that you say that you said that line of crackling doom into Dark Dwellers crackling doom because those are the cards that we had to cut to make the deck playable. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, I mean, Cataclysmic Gearhulk sort of does the same yeah. thing as like a, a Dark Dwellers with something in the graveyard, but but. Uh, Liliana Death's Majesty is a card I wanted to play more than anything, but quick little side note, the, the very first deck that I ever started with in Frontier had four Jace Friends Prodigy and four Nahiri the Harbinger. So my goal is to just draw two cards or three cards every turn. <laughs> Alright guys, I really can't thank you guys enough for coming on this show. This has been a lot of fun. We should keep you longer. Hopefully we won't, uh... I mean, I'm worried that you guys are going to want to do this again now. You're going to take over our show completely. <laughs> But uh, why don't you guys one more time hype up this upcoming showdown? That's one big thing we want to really push because we love to see Frontier. We love to see Frontier in Toronto. It's just the best place to see Frontier right now. Hey, Kevin, where where do you live? I'm in Chicago. So for me, not a ton of Frontier. I've been able to find some locally. (laughs) Did you go to Pokemon Go Fest? You got a what? Did you go to Pokemon Go Fest? Oh, we did have a Pokemon Go yeah, Fest. I had go? already dropped the game by then, though. Oh, man. Okay, I have a more important question that <laughs> is related to Frontier. How, how, um, your drive is, like, super far, right? Is it, like, 12 hours? It's like, nine so? hours to Chicago. Out to Toronto? Mm, let me think. Going through Michigan, maybe eight. I think we could do that. Yeah, it's about it's about nine, eight or nine hours to Chicago. Michigan's about four, five, four and a half hours. Oh, okay, yeah. So, like, Detroit's maybe five hours. All right, so, all right, so be- how about the, for those listeners out there, yeah, I know, thank you for listening, even though Matt Murday is on this podcast. <laughs> uh, 
So, so how about we all work really hard to make this ANC uh, on November 18th go off? Because if our attendance does well, uh, I think we need to find a way to get Kevin up here for ANC number two. Yo. Hey, we'll, we'll do better than that. I think that uh, the other Kevin, our other host, he's going to try and go up there too. Well, we'll coordinate something. All right. Sweet. I have awesome. a coach. All right. More the merrier. And then, and then Matt Murday can go to Chicago for the weekend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why? Are you afraid of losing our bet? No, we just have the right number of mats then. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for having us on. It was awesome. It, uh, you mean it's, it's nice. We kind of felt like we got the spark again. And it was uh, nice to share it. And I'm going to send you a picture of this jank brew, and then you guys can do whatever you want with it. Awesome. I mean, I'll send some back. I already posted a dinosaur's deck, if you saw. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to do a little bit of uh, just cleaning our house here. We're going to mention, well, that's our big current event is that upcoming event in Toronto, November 18th at 12 p.m. Guaranteed 1K prizing at the, uh, what is the name of this store? ANC Games. ANC Games. Yep. So upcoming cast, we already got a great idea on this show. We might be doing something about standard decks, updating those. Hopefully some people will be able to hear that before that 1K. And uh, But as always, we'd like you all to reach out, contact us. We're at MTG Frontier on Twitter, MTG underscore Frontier on Instagram, reddit.com slash r slash MTG Final Frontier. We're also on Discord, which you can find there. We've been streaming games of the UOL on Tuesdays. They're on Twitch and on YouTube. Go.twitch.tv slash MTG Final Frontier. And uh, just talk to us. We, we love to hear any kind of decks. If you want to start tweeting out pictures of your brews, we'd love to see those. We'll comment on them. We'll try and keep uh, Matt from being too harsh on them. But I, what do you guys, if you have anything more to say, just give a little shout out to our audience here. Yo, check out my brew. I sent Matt, Matt a picture. If Matt Murday says the deck's not playable, it's probably get you in the top eight. Yeah, you're probably definitely <laughs> in the top eight. No, we really appreciate you guys having us on here. Yeah. And, uh, you know, if you invite us back, then we'll see if we can make time in our busy schedules. <laughs> Yeah, anytime. Well, we'll definitely be inviting you guys back. Thanks for coming. All it's right. been great. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Next time, try not to fart so much, Mealing. <laughs> All right, hype out. <laughs> All right, but we look forward to holding the torch and being your on, your uh, go-to source for Frontier information online. Your final Frontier, signing off. Yeah.